how do we solve or disrupt a terrorist plot? What mechanisms do we have available to even do simple things like tax enforcement? Because if, in fact, you can't crack that at all, government can't get in, then everybody's walking around with a Swiss bank account in their pocket. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is the FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for the FOMO Show on your platform of choice. Everything in the show is in the show notes. Um, You can find links to the stuff we're talking about and timestamps to the relevant parts so you can always skip ahead or find it later. So this episode, we're going to be covering a bunch of news. We're going to be looking at India's new IoT network. We've also got a few electric car updates. We're also going to talk about some of the developments in the privacy world. In our big feature, we're going to be looking at how blockchain can and cannot solve real-world problems. We're also going to cover a browser privacy checkup tool. And we're going to check in with some old friends. Some old friends. Oh, friends. Podcast friends. (laughs) Bitcoin friends. (laughs) Oh, friends. Internet friends. (laughs) (laughs) So what have you been up to the last couple of weeks? Uh, Yes, I've been um, investigating security tokens. Uh, There's been a, a lot of hype in a few sectors about this at the moment and there's still a number of regulatory hurdles. I think a lot of people are kind of picturing security tokens as like the answer to everything. It's like, well, we can't do an ICO anymore, but we can do a security token. I, like I know enough about it as it is, but I really want to dig in and just work out, especially here in Australia, uh, what the legalities are and in what circumstances it may make sense, in what circumstances it might not make sense. Yeah, just been spending a fair bit of time doing that. Um, and I've also been playing a fair bit of Star Citizen as well. <laughs> Mate, I got so excited after the last episode where you did a feature on Star Citizen. It's so exciting. Yeah. And I just saw you watching some gameplay of it. Well, we've actually got some in the background here. There's some people flying around in a, what's it, an asteroid field. Yeah, yeah, like a big asteroid field. It looked so cool. Yeah, yeah there's just, there is so much to it already. There's, there's um, well, like we talked about last time, and if, if you are interested in, uh, one of the most ambitious games of all time, if not the most ambitious game of all time. Check out our last episode. But, yeah, I mean, some of these asteroids are bigger than whole game worlds, you know, the wow. games. You know, so it's just, it's pretty unreal. What have you been up to? Well, I've been at work. I'm still waiting for internet. I've been almost, yeah, almost four weeks without internet now. Yeah, mate, you've, um, you've, you've really been doing it tough. Pay as you go, tethering, you know, sitting outside, you know, other people's houses, trying to get into their internet. Just, it's not good, mate. It's not good. Um, I've also been listening to a brilliant uh, podcast, uh, Darknet Diaries. I think mm. we may have talked about it before. Really yeah. worth subscribing to. It just does these stories and it just hooks you. Each episode is just a story about something on the from the dark web. Um, but this week they actually, what was it the other week? They played a brilliant episode from a hackable, which is a podcast from, um, McAfee. And in that episode, you actually hear them like unlocking a car with a laptop. Yeah. You played it for me and it's just fascinating to listen mm. to. So now if we run the code from the, uh, the computer now and we just run the, uh, the one that we saved from earlier. Yeah. So now you're, you're running the first buddy handshake, the first buddy handshake and the car lights flash. <laughs> 
<laughs> See, you just, okay. So you just unlocked it with your laptop. Yep. Without my fob at all. Without the fob at all. No, it's yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so in theory, if I called you up and I said that I had a brand new car, you could check out the ID. Just go online, find it, show up at your house put something on your car and then end up with your car a couple days later and you'd be very confused. I'm totally confused. Can you start the car with this or? I can't start it with this, but I can start it with something else. Okay. Well, maybe we should save that for another episode. That's unreal. I mean, anyone could be sitting in their parking lot, you know, watching you go and unlock your car and recording Mm, it mm. and just storing it away. Yeah. Yeah. So scary. So... Yeah, just brilliant. Just to hear, you know, see hear how it's done is amazing. amazing. Yeah, if you don't listen to Darknet Diaries, it's really, really worth subscribing. Yeah, it's yeah. one of both of Joe and I's favorite podcasts. Mm, mm, mm. So, just a quick bit of disclosure: this podcast is not investment, financial, legal, tax, or any other type of advice. We're not saying you should buy anything at all or take out advice on any particular topic. Full disclosure, we're both personally invested in different shares, funds, and cryptocurrencies, some of which we do talk about on this show. But if we talk about any kind of product, it doesn't mean that you should buy it. So do your research, never invest more than you can afford to lose, and most of all, avoid the fear of missing out. If you're new around here and new to blockchain and cryptocurrency, we talk about that a lot on the show. And our best bit of advice is that you should go and check out our blockchain basics series. It starts from episode two and continues until around about episode eight. It gives you a grounding in um, a lot of the fundamentals and helps you understand what on earth we're talking about. All right, let's get into the news. $3.2 trillion in Bitcoin payments were processed in 2018. And CCN are asking, is the cryptocurrency a better version of gold. Yeah, and look, there's the Van Eck associate CEO has said that a lot of Bitcoin investors are moving to gold, um, but there's there seems to be mixed reports from different parts of the, the industry. Some people are saying the opposite ha- is happening and a lot of the the former gold bugs are accumulating more and more Bitcoin mm. as, as time goes on. And, and that's a big amount. I mean, I know that the Bitcoin market cap is what, like 200? 200 was about 200 billion at its top and now it's down around 100 billion or something is mm. currently but uh 3.2 trillion is a significant amount of bitcoin mm. uh payments to be processed so i don't think that's even counting all the different buy and sell orders it's, it it sounds like it's actually the 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 payments that have been paid Wow. And following on from that, the um, Cardano founder said that crypto could actually take 10 or more years to regain the highs of 2017, but it will then be mature. So that's kind of an interesting little statement from him. Um, yeah. Yeah, there was also news recently too, um, and it, it's kind of emblematic of what's gone on really the last, well, well over a year now, uh, that the NEM Foundation was almost bankrupt and has planned a, a large amount of layoffs. Yeah. And yeah. you remember we talked about NEM sometime in the last year, I think, um, and their foundation was essentially funded by the blockchain itself and was responsible for a whole bunch of the marketing. So if you've seen a lot of the NEM marketing out there and a lot of the promotions, that's the work of the foundation. And uh, there were some pretty scathing uh, uh, reports coming out of, the difficulties they've been having. It sounds like there's been a lot of mismanagement mm, behind mm, the scenes. Mm, mm. Yeah, and the, I think the price, yeah, price of them collapsed as well, and that's what they were using to pay a bunch of staff. Mm. But 
Yikes. Um, but some exciting news from Binance. Um, yeah, the world's largest crypto exchange is uh, going to let people buy Bitcoin with credit cards. Yeah, so this is uh, out of CCN. And uh, and they've essentially said that Binance very soon will actually let you go in just like you can on Coindex and pay for your crypto directly on the platform with your Visa or your MasterCard or your Amex or whatever else, which is a big step for Binance because until now – they haven't really been an on-ramp. They've just been the uh, the place that most people go to trade mm, crypto mm, once mm. they've got on. Mm. But um, this will essentially make them a lot more like a one-stop shop. You can just go straight to Binance, buy Bitcoin or whatever else you want, and then trade it within their platform without mm. having to move it, which will cut down on your fees quite significantly if you're a trader. Mm. Next piece of news is um, a startup um, called... Tangem that are going to be printing crypto banknotes for the world's first digital national currency. Yeah, we originally covered this in episode 14. Uh, and this is really cool, especially with the theme of this episode, the feature we're doing later, because we get to do an update where things have moved. You know, the mm. product's actually out mm. there and, and people are actually doing what they're saying. And they're a Swiss startup and they've chosen the Republic of Marshall Islands to do their operations first. And they're set to provide banknotes for essentially the first ever decentralized national currency. And you've been looking at their website, Joe, and, and you're getting quite excited about what you saw there. It looks really cool. You go on to tangem.com and um, and the headline is the first smart banknote for digital assets. And there are some really cool animations and they show the design of this digital banknote. You just hand it to somebody else and they can actually scan their smartphone against that to verify that there's actually money. And, that, and that's incredible because that essentially gives it auditability. You know, it's mm. printed out, but someone can essentially, yeah, just scan their phone and they'll look it up on the Block Explorer and say, yes, this has the amount it says it has. Mm. Uh, or if it doesn't, they can say, well, I don't want to take that, mm. which is mm. which is really cool. But, yeah, the platform is backed by the Israeli startup Nima, uh, the, the, the blockchain platform that they're running it on, and uh, they're calling it a sovereign. So it'll join the US dollar as the second official legal currency of the Pacific Island nation, which is an associated state of the US. Yeah, so the, yeah, these banknotes contain a secure blockchain-enabled microprocessor uh, and a chip and essentially work in the same way as yeah, regular cash. A statement from Tangem uh, said the notes will enable the off-chain physical circulation of the SOV among all SOV holders and will not impose the technical infrastructure burden on the Marshall Arms itself. And apparently, um, Tangem also released um, Bitcoin banknotes in Singapore last year oh that was them too okay i think i think we covered that at one oh. stage yeah well, i remember look, seeing them they look dope yeah i mean so cool well i guess i guess we'll just have to wait and see how much adoption they have on the mm. marshall islands mm. and how excited people get about these but yeah definitely watch this space so someone who is you know doing something in the physical world like mm -hmm. it's not just digital talk they're actually going to be I guess, printing these mm. things and then rolling them out in the Marshall Islands. So next bit of news, Tata Communications' countrywide Internet of Things will manage the chaos in India's booming cities. Yeah, so this was written by the Senior Vice President and Head of the IoT Division at Tata Communications who built this network. And he mentioned that India's been growing fast. Um, and he said, for example, Mumbai has seen its population more than double since the early 90s. 
Um, so what Tartar Communications have done is built a super low power, secure bi-directional network specifically for massive IoT communications. And it's now the world's largest IoT network, connecting over 400 million people in India's 44 largest cities, as well as hundreds of villages along 12 national highways. And yeah, there's a map showing um, where this sort of route goes, but it's connecting the big cities. Yeah, so the example uses that have essentially been demonstrated by this network so far uh, is that in 2018, the network's first command center opened in the city of Jamshedpur. And in this center, Jusco, which is the Jamshedpur utility and services company, is using over 100,000 sensors to digitize 15 elements of its infrastructure. So that goes anywhere from street lights and utilities uh, to parking meters. And that's mm. all connected to the big, command and control center mm, mm, in the mm. middle of this city. Yeah, and they also deployed um, 5,000 smart gas meters in uh, in the city for a major gas company as well. So they're saying it's going to solve a lot of these problems with you know traffic, congestion, mm. and um, efficiency of a lot of these public services. So mm. pretty cool. But they most interestingly, they're using this long-range, low-power wireless communications, LoRa. Check out the piece for more detail on it. The big takeaway is that the power usage is so low that the battery in an IoT device connected to their network could last for more than a decade without replacement. Wow. Because that's like if anyone's ever tried to use uh, door locks, which are Wi-Fi connected, yeah. they unless you've got like a proper power source hooked up to them, if you just try and run them off batteries, they do not last for that long. Maybe two months, three wow. months. Uh, Bluetooth tends to last a fair bit longer because it's a different type of signal. But yeah, the normal Wi-Fi signals just, it'd be, it'd be a logistical nightmare trying to keep mm. all those devices going with having to, if they weren't hooked up to power, having to replace batteries, et cetera, et cetera. But that's incredible. Mm. Over a decade mm. of battery mm. power to be IoT connected. And it seems like this is only ramping up too. It seems like there's a number of cities in India that, not just with this network, but with other companies as well, are all going the IoT route and they're all trying to get interconnected mm, as much as they possibly mm, can. I think it is in some country, I can't remember which one, but they've got this, these, um, either they've got, they're building these smart meters for inside your um, rubbish bins outside your house. So it will actually tell when it's full. So then the garbage collection companies can sort of, just pick up the ones that are full because, you know, some people fill up their bins faster than other people. Yeah. And then there's different times of the year when, you know, Christmas when there's loads of rubbish. Yeah. Um, so they've got to sort of be pretty on the ball with it. So there's a lot of applications for it, which are kind of cool. Mm. Moving on a big scale. Wow. There's a four-legged walking robot that's smaller than an ant's face. If you see the picture of it, it's next to a, I don't know if that's an alive ant. It looks like it's probably a dead ant. It's tiny, absolutely tiny. Mm. And it weighs just a single milligram and is small, yeah, smaller than the ant's head. Yeah, so the most immediate application of the work on this robot is to understand the dynamics of legged locomotion at the milligram scale and have more representative physical and computational models of how ants run. Um, and they actually say that it's certainly possible to go smaller as well with these things, and they're already talking about 
uh, trying to go smaller than um, the milligram scale, which they're currently operating on. Absolutely insane. So next bit of news, a 25-year-old Kenyan engineer has created gloves that turn sign language into audible speech. So they're currently in prototype um, and they're not available to the public market, but in essence, these Sign.io gloves translate signed hand movements into audible speech. Yeah, so Alaleta's gloves feature sensors located on each finger that detect the positioning of each finger, including how much each finger will bend into a given position. The glove connects via Bluetooth to an Android phone, which will then leverage the text-to-speech function to provide translated speech to the hand gestures of a person signing. And yeah, the inspiration um, came from yeah the personal experience he had with a young niece who was deaf, and I don't think any of his family... Um, spoke sign language, so yeah. yeah, cool, cool invention. Yeah, it's interesting because my my niece um, can't talk yet herself, or can't talk much, and so um, my sister in law and, and her husband have been teaching her sign language, wow. um, and she communicates really well through sign language, wow. and we've all had to kind of learn along with her, you know, like we every time we go and see her, we're like, which new ones have you learnt? And she'll kind of teach us all the different things she's learnt, and then you you know you, you kind of learn it yourself over time. Um, but I mean, she will one day talk, so it's not, it won't be as big deal, as big of a deal for her, but, um, the people that can't talk, like that's okay when you're in that little environment with your family. But the moment you walk outside your door and you go into the public and you need to communicate things Mm. to people, um, sign language really doesn't cut it unless everyone else knows what you're talking about as well. So this could be a huge game changer Mm. for anyone that's. Uh, that's deaf or mute um, or communicates primarily through sign language. Accessibility is such an important part of of life because, I mean, you know, it, it's, so, it's, it's, it's horrible when you think about the number of people who are deaf or blind and there's even a subset of people who are deaf and blind. Yeah. And which is almost why in some ways it's so important that they can hear websites if you're, if you're blind. Yeah. Um, so you, the way you navigate the internet there. But yeah. Yeah, and Braille. It's so cool just to see see this guy working on it. Yeah. And similarly, you almost wonder about, you know, even people who are mute or, mm. or don't speak at all. This is kind of a cool headline. Engineers translate brain signals directly into speech. Yeah, so by monitoring someone's brain activity, this new technology can reconstruct the words a person hears with unprecedented clarity. The breakthrough which harnesses the power of speech synthesizers and artificial intelligence could essentially lead for new ways for computers to communicate directly with the brain. Mm. Uh, It also lays the groundwork for helping people who can't speak, such as those living with ALS or recovering from a stroke, regain their ability to communicate with the outside world. Yeah, imagine that. Like, yeah, people who who are in a coma or something and... Or, or maybe that you know there are people who say oh, I was in hospital and I was there the whole time and I was screaming out to yeah. people, but obviously I couldn't speak. And it's yeah. like imagine being able to have just hook something up yeah. and, and get the, get the thoughts. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's it's such a double edged sword when you start looking at like a, a computer that can read your thoughts and translate them yeah. into real speech. Like, it's like what I think he means to yeah. say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're um, so cynical. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, because it's just yeah. It's an amazing invention. So next bit of news, uh, Raspberry Pi, which is uh, essentially like the world's most usable, smallest computer, I guess you'd say. Like it's not Mm. the smallest computer, but it's 
really robust small computer, they've got a new compute module which is 10 times faster and still just as cheap. So this is a, an update to their existing compute module three. So it's a, the smallest, nimblest, and most versatile ball that they have. And it's they're designed for use to like in embedded industrial and small devices rather than, you know, the retro arcade machines that you can go and like build and stuff like that. Yeah. It's actually for like, yeah, really yeah, practical uh, devices that you want to build. Mm. Um, so yeah, really cool. Um, and crazily, the pricing for this starts at just $25. Yeah, they, Raspberry Pi, really make a big effort to keep their products as reasonably priced as possible. Mm. And for what you're getting, like you can go look at the specs on this, but the fact that you can fit something this powerful into something this small and robust is a huge deal for a very, very large sector of the tech world. Mm. Um, And yeah, like you said, this is used primarily in the enterprise settings. Mm. So they're going to be really happy with this. That's really cool. This I shall share, really cool, because you, you're a Nextcloud user, aren't you? Yeah, I am, yeah. So my, uh, my all my calendar goes through my Nextcloud, all my cloud storage now is through my Nextcloud, and that's self-hosted. So, so I, it's like a self-hosted Google suite almost? Yeah, pretty much. So Google yeah, yeah, Mail like if, Drive? Yeah, Google or, Mail Drive, or if you use Microsoft products, like it's a self-hosted Outlook OneDrive, all that kind of stuff. Wow. Um, and it is, it is really, really robust and very easy to set up. How much does it cost? Uh, it's free. So you just have to pay for your hosting costs. Just or pay for your hosting costs, yeah. And you can set it up on like a Raspberry Pi or something at home if you want and plug a hard drive in and wow. away you go. Yeah, it's, it's, it is it is amazing. Like if for anyone that's interested in hosting your own cloud server or, or, or having your calendar be your own or whatever, mm. it is incredibly simple to set up these days so this latest headline has actually flipped me over on this um they've now introduced a virtual drive in their desktop client so in the same ways with google drive or with OneDrive or a lot of these things where you extend the storage that's on your phone Mm. with you know storage you can access all your other files on your phone They've now, yeah, bought in a virtual drive. So you it, you open your My Computer or your Finder if you're on Apple or your, wherever else you are, and it shows up along yeah, like a synchronized folder yeah. that you can put files in there or smart sync things from the cloud. Mm. Um, and they're all your files and they're all hosted by you. Yeah. Yeah, so, and the, the beauty of this is that you can um, – you can have that virtual drive there and you don't have to set which folders you want to have. You can have all your folders listed, but it won't download them until you double click on them. So you don't have to worry about it taking up a whole bunch of storage and downloading the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can just essentially get the content on demand, but everything is there and readily accessible for you and it just syncs across all your devices. Um, And look, I've just, I found Nextcloud so reliable. Like I can't recommend it enough for a piece of free software uh, it is. It has just been amazing, and mm. the, the being able to sync my calendars across all my devices and know that they're only hosted by me. No one else is looking at them. Mm. Same thing with my cloud storage. To know that I, I'm the only one that can see that. Uh, it's really, really cool and mm. really good peace of mind for me. Especially as a lawyer, because I mean, you want to make sure that your client data is secure. Exactly. Yeah. And and the the beauty about Nextcloud is you can encrypt your entire instance, and you can do a whole bunch of extra stuff to it. Uh, they've got a whole bunch of apps as well, which you can add on. Um, so they've got, they've got private messaging apps and all sorts of different things that you can do with it now. It's just, yeah, it's incredibly robust. I can't, can't recommend it enough. So next cloud, 
is yeah just selling itself even more and it's free it's free Let's jump into some of the privacy headlines. First bit of headlines, a Chinese court has unveiled a program to expose deadbeat debtors. So yeah, in North China's Hebei province, um, they'll find it more difficult if you're a debtor to abscond. Um, So the Higher People's Court of Hebei on Monday introduced a mini program on WeChat targeting them. Yes, they've called this a map of deadbeat debtors. The program allows users to find out whether there are any debtors within 500 metres. So their information is available to check in on in uh, the program, making it easier for people to whistleblow on people who are actually capable of paying their debts. Mm. It's a strange little program because it will essentially mean that you'll be walking around your town and you'll get a notification on your phone and it'll say, there's a debtor within 500 metres of you. Shame, shame, shame. Yeah. shame. <laughs> it's a, a little bit strange and absurd, but I guess we've come to expect that from China. <laughs> now, next piece, um, web ad giant Google, there to block ad blockers in Chrome uh, for safety, apparently. Yeah, so this is just another really benevolent step from our, uh, our, our favourite friendly company, Google. Um, and if the overhaul goes ahead... Adblock Plus and similar plugins that rely on basic filtering will, with some tweaks, still be able to function to some degree, uh, unlike more ambitious extensions such as uBlock Origin, which is one of the ones that we generally recommend, which will be hard to hit. The grafted changes will limit the capabilities available to extension developers ostensibly for the sake of speed and safety. And now, importantly, um, it's not going to happen to Adblock Plus because companies like Google donate to Adblock Plus mm. so that they don't block their ads. That's exactly right. And it's it's just, it's rubbed everyone up the wrong way because, I mean, Google have said, oh, because safety, but everyone's looked at it and said, but you're, you're an advertising company you know, and you're making it harder for us to block ads. Mm. Uh, use Firefox, guys, come on. Next up, uh, so this is... Both Facebook and Google have been hit in this this one. So Facebook were caught paying teens up to $20 a month to download an app that spied on everything. Um, yeah, so they bribed, you should use the word bribed, they bribed teens to use an app that specifically gave them nearly limitless access to the device so that private messages in social media apps, chats from instant messaging apps, um, emails, web searches, ongoing location information, the lot. Yeah, so to their credit, uh, in response, Apple blocked Facebook from running its internal iOS apps on the uh, the platform. And apparently, <laughs> chaos erupted when this happened at Facebook HQ because they used this application to run a lot of their internal functions. All of their staff tools like holiday planners or whatever, the other apps that they had, gone. <laughs> um, and yeah, so after the outrage, Facebook saw the light and announced the shutdown of the iOS version of the app. Uh, the Android, Android one is still alive and kicking because they don't need specific keys from Google to mm. be able to run them. Mm. Um, yeah, and similarly, Google had exactly the same app. It was called ScreenWise. And the Electronic Frontier Foundation was saying, look, this is potentially even worse. Is Yeah, they're saying it's an unwise trade of all of your privacy for cash. Wow. Um, so yeah, it could basically screenshot everything that you were doing. So keep track, so tr- keep track on all their competitor websites and how people use them. Yeah. And what did you get in? Re- what did you get in reward for all oh, these things? Just a small amount of money, really. Um, Twenty dollars. So in reward for compromising all your privacy, you get a gift card. Surely for $20. they should have given yeah fifty gold cents, Judas. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so next bit of news, uh, Mercedes-Benz have moved to build battery supply chains in Europe. So, yeah, the Polish Prime Minister announced that their Mercedes-Benz is investing $230 million uh, in the Polish town of, um, I don't know how to pronounce that, Javor? Javor? Who knows? Mm. But yeah, the factory will contribute to their plans for eventually purchasing $23 billion worth of batteries for its new lineup of electric cars. So they all, Mercedes already operate a factory in the town. Yeah, so they plan to introduce the first of its new EQ line of electric cars, the EQC, this summer in Europe. And there's a bunch of other battery development going on. Uh, LG Chem has set up battery factories in Korea, China, Poland, and the US, and elsewhere, to build electric car batteries for General Motors and most recently Nissan. Um, Battery production manufacturers in China have also been building production, primarily for the Chinese wave of electric cars that are already on sale. Yeah, many of these production facilities too have yet to come online. Uh, And automakers such as GM and even Tesla have really been struggling to make enough batteries to keep up with their supply of the cars. Mm. Seems like making the cars is easier than uh, getting all the batteries that they need. Toyota and Panasonic uh, to jointly make electric car batteries um, and explore solid state battery tech. Mm. And uh, Tesla has even patented a better battery system, which they're hoping will put them ahead of everyone else in this race to essentially power all these cars. The patent's titled Novel Battery Systems Based on Two Additive Electrolyte Systems. Usually it takes five additives to improve battery performance. But yeah, the breakthrough is that they can improve batteries with only two additives, which is kind of cool. Wherever you're joining us from, it's a pleasure having you here. Why not drop into our Telegram channel and say hello? You can get that at fomo.show slash telegram. Privacy and security. Um, you found this really cool tool, browserleaks.com. Yeah, so this is a, a really interesting little tool. And when you go to the website, it, it, it's not immediately apparent what this website actually does. But the whole point of this website is essentially to investigate your browser and give you a whole bunch of feedback about how secure it is and what it's leaking. So, so uh, what we don't really get told much is that people who are on the other side of our web browsing can actually get a, a tremendous amount of information mm. about us and our systems, so our computer mm, systems, mm, mm. from our browser. And it's not just the computer system itself. It's, uh, it's also the different websites we have open, what cookies we have going, and people can build up quite an interesting profile on one person by just essentially what they can see in the browser. That can Mm. nearly be enough for a lot of people. And there's also a huge amount of vulnerabilities that come from certain types of plugins or certain things that are installed on your system. And what Browser Leaks is is aiming to be is essentially like a one-stop shop to audit your browser and look up all the different uh, ways that you might be leaking things mm. and give you kind of like a health check on your browser. Says that you're in another country to where we are at the moment. Um, there you go. But interestingly, Success. JavaScript can actually pull out your time zone. There you go. And my time zone is set to Brisbane at the moment. Oh. Um, yeah. You're using the Gregorian calendar. Very nice. Yeah. Well, I try. I try to stay current with my calendars, you know. Up to date. Cool. Yeah, um, but there is some really interesting little tools on there. One of them, which I think you would be interested in, Joe, is mm-hmm. what's called font fingerprinting. Um, so if you go down <laughs> the bottom, people can actually Keep talking. <laughs> people can actually get a really interesting fingerprint of you, and uh, by what fonts you have installed in your system, and it will essentially tell you how unique 
your fonts are. Like if you have certain other types of fonts installed on your system, you may be the only one in the world with those specific fonts installed on your system. So mm. uh, it's it, that that's one of the ways that these hackers or these security investigators can essentially work out who you are by fingerprinting what fonts you have. Wow. That's... I feel violated already. <laughs> you never thought all those fonts you installed would, uh, <laughs> oh, would betray you. Oh, um, there's another one, though, called uh, WebRTC Leak Test. And uh, the WebRTC Leak Test is essentially a test to see, is, let's say you use a VPN. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the time using a VPN isn't enough because while th- that VPN may cloak certain types of IPs, there's a, a bug or a leak called WebRTC. And if you are giving over... If you're leaking WebRTC, it'll essentially mean that no matter what VPN you're on, all your data is still going to your ISP. Wow. Um, so you actually have to be really careful about that. And also you're leaking DNS as well, which is a, mm. which is another one that um, the browser leaks website will check for you. There's a whole bunch of different cool little things. I mean, even there's one that checks social media logins. So it checks what you're logged into on your machine. Um, if you, you know, if you're going to be really secure, uh, you would try not to be logged into anything. So when you, the moment you shut the website, it logs you back out, um, but it will tell you what it detects that you're logged into on there. So yeah, if, if it's something you're interested in, if you're trying to you know keep your browsing as private as you possibly can, then, uh, then it's definitely one that is worth looking at. That's really cool. So browserleaks.com. I have a collect call from... It's Dan! An inmate at... A San Bernardino County Detention Facility. Yeah, we better we better accept it. Hey, Dan. Um, hey, Dan. Joe! Joe, is that you? Wait, what, what's, what's this prank about reverse prison? What's this? I've been wrongfully imprisoned. I don't know what happened. First, the government shut down. Then they took away my benefits, Joe. And then all of a sudden, they're bringing me to federal prisons, Joe. I, 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 I can't believe it. Wait, hold on. I thought you were working at the SEC. Um, what, what, what stopped you being there? Look, it seems that when the government shut down, there was an audit done. They looked through the records and they realised that I'd been running a number of questionable ICOs and fundraisings in the last year and a half. I am a, a victim here, Joe. And I am being hung out to dry. This is a travesty of justice, Dan. I mean, hold on. Weren't you supposed to be looking after all these Bitcoin ETFs when you are at um, the SEC? Well, Joe, I, I was meant to be. And I mean, I, I was going to give them fav- as favorable treatment as possible. Joe, who's going to rescue the crypto market then? Dan, I'm so sorry to hear it. We're going to have to catch you soon. Joe, don't please don't leave me. Nah, Dan, that's, that costs way too much money, mate. That, yeah, look, I... I... Dan's got a way of getting out of this stuff anyway. So in our feature, we're asking the question, where can blockchain apply to real life problems? So first, let's give a quick recap of what blockchain is. So to really kind of get a basic understanding of what blockchain is, you've got to really understand what Bitcoin is. So Bitcoin has blocks and transactions. These transactions are broadcast to nodes, so that's computers, who host the ledger on the network. Uh, They validate them um, and then sit in the mempool. Yeah, so the nodes then compete in a competition to win the privilege of writing what's sitting in the mempool, so all those transactions, to the ledger in a block. So in a block of transactions. And you can kind of picture it like uh, all the nodes 
waiting for someone to win the competition and then that node essentially putting all the transactions in a box, doing the box up and putting it up on a shelf. And um, once they're on the ledger, um, the idea is that they can't be changed. Yeah, so there's built-in verification of of uh, of the ledger, and generally the uh, the blocks are chained together using something called hashes, which we won't go into. But all you really need to know is that once these blocks are there, it's very hard for them to be changed, changed, and that's why we call it a blockchain. Um, there's also built-in verification on this ledger system, and it uses public and private keys. And these public and private keys are like usernames and passwords essentially. And the transactions on the ledger must also be signed with a signature, which generally is derived from this this private key, which is like your password. So there's an incentive system as well. So um, entries are added to the ledger by miners and they're incentivized to stay honest. Um, so the game theory behind it makes it more valuable to mine blocks on the network rather than try and attack it. Yeah, and this uh, the beauty of this ledger as well, this, this Bitcoin ledger, is that it can be hosted by anyone. So anyone can jump online, download what we call a wallet, download the entire ledger, which is the entire record of transactions going all the way back back to 2009 mm-hmm. and uh, and then they can become a node themselves and they can start validating transactions. They can start looking at the mempool and participating in that and, uh, and essentially it means that anyone anywhere in the world can host an entire record of the ledger. And so the longer the chain is, the more people there are hosting the ledger, the more secure and immune to attack the entire network really is. And yeah, it's auditable by anyone, everyone. Yeah, so what that means is you've essentially got a distributed financial ledger all around the world uh, where all the transactions are bundled up and put into blocks, which are very, very, very hard to change, almost impossible to change. About every 10 minutes, those blocks are done and then they're written to the ledger and they become blocks in an ever-increasing chain of transactions. Hmm. And that means that it's a very, very secure way to exchange value between people without a bank. Um, now, it's secured by maths and it is, you know, a lot of, as a lot of people say, it's one of the safest ways to store value. Yeah, so a ve- basic blockchain is a global financial ledger where all, all transactions are verified, stored permanently, and everyone has complete visibility. People began wondering next, if we can exchange value on a trustless global ledger, then why stop at payments? So, yeah, this is where the concept of smart contracts arose with the Ethereum network. Yeah, so essentially we got what we call Generation 2 blockchains and we got smart contracts as well. And a Generation 2 blockchain is essentially a programmable blockchain for more than just transactions. And it allows you to have a user account and an autonomous account which can be programmed. So you essentially get a more robust ledger with a state of things. Mm. So it's autonomous accounts, um, which are called contract accounts, they allow parties to automate relationships and transactions by agreeing on the rules, programming those rules into a contract account and sending transactions to it. So it's not controlled by a user except for the, yeah, the initial person who puts the program onto it. Yeah. So the easiest example we can give to explain that is let's say you're a musician and up until now you've got your contract with a record company and the record company says to you, let's say they're quite generous, they say, we'll give you 50-50. So any money that comes in from Spotify or iTunes or whatever, we'll take 50% for all our marketing and and just being a record company and you'll take 50% as well. 
as the musician. But you as a musician, you essentially just get your check at the end of the month and that's it. You don't really have any way to verify that the money you're getting is correct. And generally too, what happens is when that music comes in from iTunes or that money comes in from iTunes or Spotify or whatever, it comes in one big lump, lump sum to the record company and then they've got to spend like a month behind the scenes with all these different admin people working out who's entitled to what, how much, how much cut are they taking, blah, 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 blah. There's whole floors in their corporate machine which work all that stuff out. If you instead take that simple relationship and put it into a smart contract, you can essentially say, okay, well, the relationship says that any money that comes from any of these people, we're splitting 50-50. So you build a contract and you say, uh, you put it in a contract account You say, any money that comes in, send 50% to the musician, send 50% to the record company. Mm. And then you can say to iTunes, we want you to pay to that contract account instead of to the record company. And what that means is that because it's on an open ledger, um, both all parties can audit it and it's enshrined there in code. Whenever money comes in, let's say iTunes sends $50 worth, within about five minutes max, the contract account will look at that. They'll say, okay, this money just came in. My rules say pay it 50-50. So 25% will go to the musician, 25% will go to the record company. So you've essentially saved a whole bunch of administration on the record company's side and the musician no longer suspects the record company because they can see that, yes, I'm getting exactly what I should be paid for. When you put this all together, you get a different type of database which can handle money and business logic. Now, blockchain technology provides a level playing field where money and information is exchanged without needing trust. Mm. Yeah, and smart contracts allow parties to add code directly to that exchange, meaning you get certainty of behavior and visibility to everyone involved. So what are the pros of this? Yeah, so you get a level digital playing field, you get a shared record of truth, uh, you get a platform native financial unit of exchange, you get open audits uh, of the, the the shared ledger and the shared record. You get a degree of automation as well. Um, you get And you also get consistent code which can deal with money without human input, which is something we've never really had before where you can essentially code money directly. Mm. Um, and you also get direct transactions without third-party intermediaries. But there are some cons. By having everyone share this database, it actually does slow things down. So... It's uh, first con, slow, cumbersome database. You've also got smaller projects can actually be more vulnerable to attack. Um, that's all to do with the ma- how the maths works behind it and how the computing power works. And it, um, it's also dependent on user uptake as well. And yeah, my biggest one is that user experience is very poor at the moment. Um, and, and yeah, it's new technology that we're still trying to figure out. What would you say that the biggest con for you is? <laughs> the biggest con for me, at least recently, has been ICOs. The fact that people are going to run ICOs on this. Um, <laughs> and look, that's not really a fault of the platform. It's just a fault of the people <laughs> using the platform mm. uh, wanting to make some quick money. Mm. Um, there's also public and private blockchains, which we won't go into too much. Um, essentially, a public blockchain, what we call a public blockchain, is something like Bitcoin or Ethereum or EOS. Um, it's something that anyone is allowed to participate in. Anyone can go download the wallet. A private blockchain is something that's restricted to a certain subset of users. So it's still distributed. Um, it's still somewhat decentralized and that's to various degrees, but not anyone can just go and jump on it. 
Uh, and that's what some of the bigger businesses are using these days. So segueing then into our, our next little segment. And look, that's a very, very whirlwind view of blockchain and smart contracts. I would recommend going and listening to our blockchain basic series if you are at all curious about some of the more in-depth stuff. But we're talking about real world application today, mm. where, where mm. blockchain mm. can be used mm. in the real world. And we are seeing some people already applying this to real life problems and succeeding. So what are some of the ways, Joe, that people are, are doing this now? So you've got one thing that really sticks out is just private transactions. So there's been, I mean, a lot of these cryptocurrencies were founded on these, you know, among a lot of like dark net users initially. They, they were a lot of the early adoption. And private transactions is something that sort of followed their um, – and, and you've, you see currencies like Monero, mm. um, which are huge in these darknet circles, mm. which has this sort of, it's more obfuscated. Yeah, because you can still mathematically prove that the ledger is doing what it's mm. doing. Um, there's a whole bunch of maths that goes on behind it, but it's essentially zero knowledge. Mm. You just end up with the money. There's no real way to trace who sent the money to whom. Mm. Uh, mm. But pe- both people on, on either side of a transaction can see that, yes, money's left my wallet. Yes, money's arrived at my mm, mm, Yeah. Um, so that's working right now. Yeah, so and you've got Monero, you've got Pivx, you've got Cloakcoin, you've got yep. Zcash, you've got Zcoin, a bunch of different projects that are looking at that. Mm. Where, where's the next one that sticks out to you? Yeah, so international transactions is another big one too. So private transactions is just letting you essentially send digital money without a bank. But international transactions, uh, because blockchain is essentially all around the world, and, you know, I can be in Africa and download a copy of the Bitcoin blockchain and send Bitcoin to anyone on the network. Mm. That means that I could also be here in Australia and receive money from Africa. Mm. And the fee might cost me the equivalent of, you know, maybe 20 cents, uh, if, if that. Whereas if I was to send money through the traditional banking system, it could cost uh, you know, a, a huge percentage of what I'm trying to sell. Mm. If you go through Western Union or the um, SWIFT system mm. with banking mm. or whatever, a lot of people have gotten used to paying these huge fees. But if you send Bitcoin instead, as long as they can convert it at the other end if they want to, um, it makes a lot of sense to use a, a blockchain and Bitcoin particularly mm. for international transactions. And then not to mention one of the problems that you had when you're on holiday, try, like, transferring to a different currency you lose a bunch of stuff in the yes just to the to the bloke behind the counter yeah yeah and if, if you're going somewhere where you know you can spend bitcoin um you know it makes a lot more sense just to have that in bitcoin side note come visit australia loads of places you can spend your yes. hard hard lost crypto <laughs> um where else are we seeing people apply it to real life problems that succeeding well one of the big pieces of news from last year was that the um that walmart you know the one of the biggest employers in the US, they're massive and they actually asked all their suppliers, pretty sure it was all their suppliers, but it may have just been agricultural suppliers to get in, get on this... Um, Food a, trust. Yeah. yeah. So they could it gave sort of auditability of where foods come from and been and yeah. gone and makes it easier to track it all. Yeah, yeah, because they essentially wanted something, uh, a, a ledger, a database, which had built-in data sovereignty, I guess you'd say. Like it, it, they wanted, once something was entered in, they wanted it to be permanent mm-hmm. and they wanted it to be easy to look things mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. And they also wanted a system where you could have a number of parties all participating together 
and they would all feel like they had kind of equal ownership of the mm, system. Mm, mm. Um, so they're doing that with Unilever. I think Nestle are involved as well, and they've got a whole bunch of different suppliers. And I'd be, it's, it's using Hyperledger, which wow, is one of the yeah. private blockchain mm. um, systems. So, yeah, and they've moved from concept into saying, yep, this is something that will work in the real world. Mm. We need to do it. Now, I did take this sort of applying this blockchain to real life problems and succeeding a bit of a stretch. Um, But there was this great piece in Medium that gave a list of blockchain alternatives to your favorite products. Uh, There's one for Twitter. It's called Peepeth or there's one called Ono Chat, which is built on EOS. Um, There's a Spotify alternative called Tune. There's an eBay alternative called Open Bazaar. There's a YouTube alternative called DTube, which is really cool. Mm. Um, it looks just like YouTube, and it's just got monetization built into it so you can donate to people who, who are contributing videos. They've literally stolen and ripped YouTube's design completely. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's good because it's not YouTube. It's built on the Steamwork fra- Steamit framework too, that one. Right. Yeah, so that runs through the, the Steamit chain, I'm oh. pretty sure. Yeah. Speaking of Steemit, um, there's also Steemit, which is kind of like a decentralized alternative to Medium. Yeah. Um, then a couple of our suggestions. you got uh, Wikipedia has um, an alternative that has monetization built in yep. called Everpedia. Yeah. And look, at Everpedia, their links are actually starting to show up more and more now. And yeah. Things yeah, too, yeah. Which is pretty cool. Um, there's also a bunch of gambling distributed applications, uh, especially built on EOS. Um which a lot of people are saying are beginning to get a, a, a huge mm. amount of users and most of them aren't from the crypto world either, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. No, I'm not a gambler myself, but I mean, I've started to watch more reviews of those things to see how it's actually working. Yeah. Um, yeah, Everpedia I think is really cool because somebody said that the top Wikipedia editor who I think they'd made like 36,000 edits or something like that or created 36,000 pages, something yeah. crazy. They would have been like a millionaire if they'd been um, contributing to Everpedia instead. Wow. So people who contribute to Everpedia get paid. Wow. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. And that's all running on chain too, Everpedia, which is, I mean, the text is, isn't, is but the all the submissions and the posts and all those kind of mechanisms all run on chain, mm. which is pretty cool. Mm. Um, next piece was from Computer World that put together a list of real-world uses of blockchain today. And uh, we pulled out a few of those ones. Um, yeah, so the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company has partnered with IBM to develop a blockchain-based system that securely tracks, validates, and executes oil and gas transactions between their operating companies. Um, Sierra Leone, they partially conducted presidential elections with um, mm. using blockchain tech. Um, they work closely with a Swiss-based startup called Agora to rethink the voting process. So it sort of mirrored the, the voting um, but on the blockchain as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah wow. That meant that the counts were much quicker to come in. Brilliant. Um, Singapore Airlines deployed a blockchain scheme for registering frequent fire miles and rewards. So CrisPay, uh, which is a spin-off of CrisFire, uh, and it's a digital wallet developed in partnership with KPMG and Microsoft, allows Singapore Airlines customers to turn like their travel miles into units of payment, which can then be used with all their merchants within Singapore. Mm, so, yeah, and I mean, even German, like Lufthansa and Air New Zealand, they teamed up with uh, another Swiss-based startup, Winding Tree, to build blockchain-based travel apps. 
Um, so yeah, and then there's even a European travel group, TUI, create a blockchain-based inventory system for hotel bookings. Mm. Uh, one of the things problems it solves is the double um, spend. Yeah. So maybe it means that you don't get two people booked into the same room. Who knows? That'd be great. But, yeah, it? the pretty- contract says no. Sorry, they're booked. Not, oh. oh, sorry. Looks like we sold your room. <laughs> yeah, we're on a different system. <laughs> oh, they always blend the system. Yeah. They? Well, well, they do have, they've got so many systems. I mean, you look at, you've got Trivago, you've got Last Minute, you've got all these different ones. They're all offering the same rooms. If two people ordered the same time on both, I'm not sure if they, how it all works behind the scenes. But yeah, you do hear stories about that kind of stuff happening. Mm. I mean, it even happened with you, with your internet. Yeah, so um, the glorious uh, telecoms company that runs Australia called Telstra happened to sell the same phone number to two people, so they had to cancel my order and they blamed it on the system. Mm. I think it was user error, but they blamed it on the system. No! <laughs> uh, and finally, in order to improve and assure the government that they're, as a defence contract, that they're actually working to their processes, um, defence multinational Lockheed Martin, they contracted a guard time federal to integrate blockchain into their processes to provide auditable reassurance to America's federal government. Yeah, they said it would enable more efficient and secure software development as well as improve supply chain risk management. Um, how much of that is actual stuff and how much of them that is just them hijacking the marketing speak i'm not sure but yeah. uh, but next one is really interesting which is a sony estonia's ksi or blockchain government system and and this is a really cool one because if you go on the the, the estonia website um they've got a whole setup for this and a lot of people have heard about their um e-passport mm. and you can get like a or e-citizenship, uh, you can get like essentially electronic citizenship in Estonia for a certain amount of money. Um, but they've got a large number of blockchain services now that they're essentially running a lot of their governance and, mm. and civic services on. So do check out the link. It looks really cool. From identity um, through to interoperability, so land registers, population registries, um, security and safety. So they've got e Justice, law, e police. So there's a bunch of different. Really, it's really worth looking into how they're actually building this all together. Healthcare, health records, and bringing all your stuff in one place, and even i voting, government cloud, and it's a bunch of stuff that's yeah, and in, built into these e services. Mm, Sony is such a cool place. Estonia, Estonia. Uh, there's also Gitcoin, which is kind of like freelance or Upwork, but you get paid in crypto and a smart contract is created every time a job goes up. So it kind of runs on bounties. Someone will put up a bounty, say, and generally ha- this is for open source development. They'll mm. say, here's my GitHub. Here's what I need done. Here's the bounty. If you uh, do the commit and it's what we want, you get the bounty. Bounty's wow. released. That's um, cool. Yeah, and that's running on Ethereum. I think that one is. I think that's a consensus project. Mm. There was also something that Samsung was doing with, I think it was it was one port. It might have been the port of Rotterdam. Um, we won't go into that too much, but they, uh, they'd successfully run a pilot and then they decided that the pilot worked and now they're expanding things. So wow. 
Um, That's cool. Because port management and, you know, essentially trying to manage things across borders is it makes sense for a decentralised network. Mm, you know, if you've got something mm. that's a global network. And loads of parties involved in the transaction. Yeah, wow. yeah. Just it, it, it really, it, it's kind of something that makes sense. And be that what you call blockchain or be that what you call a distributed ledger, which is what kind of what Hyperledger is. We're seeing more and more Hyperledger is becoming less about blockchain and more just about, look, this is a distributed ledger system with these characteristics. Mm. Um, so the whole term blockchain is kind of morphing into a number of different types of databases essentially, <laughs> <laughs> which some creates some great going, right? confusion. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so where are people trying to apply it and not succeeding? Yeah, uh, so while we've talked about some great projects above, we won't spend too long on this because we don't want to rain on anyone's parade too much. But uh, but one of the biggest areas is power. So remember in around 2017, there were a whole bunch of ICOs who were saying, you know, blockchain is going to be the the big thing for power and we're going to peer-to-peer everything and we're, being, we're going to tokenize power. It'll be amazing. Um, and there were companies like PowerLedger, uh, WePower, Grid Plus, all these different companies that, uh, that promised the world and uh, here in 2019 have delivered next to nothing. Um, and that's just the reality. Uh, and one of the big things they've run up against is regulatory issues. I think that's, right. it's one of the most highly regulated areas in the world. And I think... Their premise was pretty good in what they were saying could happen, um, although I'm not still not convinced that you can actually tokenize units of energy in the in the way that they were proposing doing. Um, but wow, yeah, because there's so much wastage just like just putting it through wires. Yeah, yeah, and that's that, that, well, that's that's one of the big issues. Like in their initial white papers, it was all about tokenizing energy and peer-to-peer trading and blah blah blah. But um, you were talking about a. A, a, a unit, I guess you've got to call it a unit, that just doesn't work like digital currency works. <laughs> completely different. Think about it, isn't it like energy is never lost, but it goes into a different thing? So yeah. What happens? A power ledger token becomes like a... Well, it's funny that you mentioned power ledger token because, I mean, the whole crowdfund happened on the premise that the power token would be integral to their platform. Oh. Um, and right now there is zero use for their token. And it's the same thing with the other, a lot of the other power startups, ICOs, tokens as well. There's just zero uses for their token. Um, I'm glad so. I didn't have as much money as I wanted during all that. Hype. Yeah, yeah. It was just, it was a little bit crazy. And look, I, I think there was a lot of due diligence that wasn't done about the regulatory issues um, and also some of the technological issues. But yeah, that's one area where it's just not succeeding at all. Uh, that we've been promised the world and it just is not succeeding. What, what's another area? IBM and Merck teamed up to do their um, blockchain supply chain thing, which was some sort of private thing. And they invited a bunch of other shipping companies and competitors on, but they didn't really get many signups. And I don't know if it was because all these other companies were giving their data away to Maersk and IBM? Yeah, I mean, I guess if, if you're a smaller shipping company and, and, and your biggest rival and the one that's eating up all your business and undercutting you all the time comes to you and says, hey, we're building this great new system, you should jump on, it'll be fairer for everyone. Hmm. I, I don't know if you'd be quick to trust them. Hmm. <laughs> I think, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that's the right way of going about things. And I think that's what they did and and and... Uh, we we did cover Samsung's platform, and it sounds like they're having more success with that um, because they're coming more from a manufacturer's side of things. 
I have to see where it goes, really. Yeah, exactly. What's another one that stands out to you? This is kind of weird because I've put down Consensus and they are a very, very big company now in, in, in blockchain terms. Um, and, and they have had some, some success in getting some projects to work, but... Uh, there's a we'll put the link in the show notes there's a list of their all their spoke companies they've got all these other com- these companies that are a part of consensus and consensus it's like a distribute a distributed organization that was founded by this guy who made loads of money on ethereum whether yep. he's one of the founders yeah it was to build their ecosystem and a bunch of people are hired by them all yep. around the world and they make decisions and all those things via consensus yeah which could be quite slow i don't know but um yeah uh, well that's that's one of the the issues i think they've run into so they've, they've got a number of companies uh um, and I think they've got about 50 now, uh, the different projects that they're working on. Um, but it's not really evident that a lot of them are getting used that much or making a lot of progress. And right. I, I, I'm still not sure whether this is endemic in the organization itself because of the structure, because of this whole holacracy thing and we're all equal and we're all distributed, or whether it's simply because Ethereum just isn't that great as like a platform to run wow, these things yeah. on. Um, and you can go on there and just kind of browse through and you'll see a whole bunch of these companies that just have been around for a fair while but really haven't done that much. So there's a couple that I have done a little bit. Uh, one is Civil, which is like a journalism network for transparency and trust and it's designed to help people own content. But there hasn't really been much uptake with that. Um, Grid Plus was one of the energy ones I talked about before. Um, it's kind of, if you go on their website, it kind of seems like they've done a big pivot. Uh, there's not a lot of evidence they're getting much uptake either. And uh, they're definitely not doing much energy trading at all. Apparently um, there's a health blockchain there, company they run, Stove. You can even access their website. No, the website just leads to like a GoDaddy, I don't know, GoDaddy domain or something. Um also Virtue Poker, which was an attempt to use Ethereum to play poker. Uh, from what I've heard about it, I don't think it's been that successful. Um, and then Gnosis as well, which is kind of one of the bigger names. That was a prediction market ICO. Um, they had their own token for it, but uh, I mean, the markets aren't even really online. No one's really using their token for this stuff. I don't know. Like it, from, from what I'm seeing from consensus, it's, it was a lot of... Great ideas, great talk, but there hasn't really been a lot of delivering. In saying that, they've, they've got OpenLaw, which uh, which I've talked about before, which is a cool platform. I don't think many people are using it um, simply because I, I don't think that many people are comfortable using the Ethereum network. Wow, right. um, there's also, they've got like an enterprise offering as well, which I think I talked about Kaleido. I talked about that a few episodes ago. It's a little bit more promising in a sense that it may allow companies to spin up their own private instances if that's something they even find useful, though. That's another mm. question. I mean, that still remains to be seen. And I don't know. Like, it, it just seems like a lot of these issues might be related to the wider problems with Ethereum, mm. the consensus are having. I guess as I was reading this piece by Seth Godin. It was like, yeah, awareness is one thing. Everyone knows about – everyone's heard of Panama, right? Yeah. Action going to Panama on holiday yeah. is takes a whole nother kettle of fish. Same with Argentina. Everyone's heard of Argentina. Yeah. How many people are going to Argentina tomorrow? Not everyone. You could make, and it's like yeah. bringing people to that action. Like loads of people have heard of Ethereum now. It's like, <laughs> I think the issue with a lot of the Ethereum development is that they take the wrong approach. They take the approach of let's build this cool blockchain tech 
and people come for the blockchain tech and the cool mm. things we can do with blockchain. Whereas you look at a lot of the companies that are developing for EOS, for example, mm. and they go, let's just build something cool. Hmm. And blockchain will underpin it uh, because it makes sense to use it because, you know, we might have mm. some non-fungible tokens or we might have some gambling apps that we need to monetize or Everpedia, for example. But you go on Everpedia, you go on a lot of the gambling apps, you go on uh, even a lot of the gaming stuff, you won't even know you're using a blockchain mm. all the time. Most mm. of the time it'll just put things in a, a wallet that'll sit there waiting for you to set scatter up on mm. your browser. Right. Um, and then it'll say, hey, do you want to set up this scatter thing to hold your digital currency? And you'll go, oh, cool. Yeah, I probably should do that. Or that might be your account creation mm. progress, but it won't be like blockchain this, blockchain that, you know, mm. um, and it just works too. Mm. Whereas I think with a lot of these Ethereum apps, it's just clunky. Not a lot of it works. Most of it's still in alpha because they're wrestling with the tech. And See, if I had dictatorial control over consensus, the company, um, not that that's possible. I would just do a Google, which is where every couple of years they just go through and just slash things. I mean, if you had a Google Plus account, then you would have received an email the other day being like, yeah, we're just taking shutting down Google Plus. Yeah. They just go through and they just cull. Yeah. Just like, you know, Apple do or whatever. Or you just keep it narrow down to what's working and yeah. then focus your stuff. Anyway. Yeah. And look, the thing about those companies too is they use their own products. Mm. And I think that's the big difference with the consensus is that, I mean, I heard that they, they don't even use, they don't even use open law for their own employment contracts. You know, so they just, they just do traditional employment contracts. They've got this great platform which can do smart contract based payments and employment contracts and they don't even use it. Um, so if that's not like an indictment on a company that's, you know, essentially promising everyone else that their products do great things but not walking the talk, then I don't know what mm. is. So, yeah, consensus are a big one um, that I just don't think have really hit their stride. Governance is an excellent one that isn't really taking off yet. I wonder if it's just a user experience issue. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'd love to – I still think there's, there's so much in that, you know, having just even an app on your phone or just a web app could just be that interact with through via a blockchain don't know you're interacting with the blockchain it's just organization for your company yeah yeah like spin up jurisdictions and all that kind of mm, stuff mm, you know mm. i think there's a huge huge potential there for it but uh, yeah i think it's too early in the the people's conception of it kind of thing and it's also too early in the tech kind of thing because the most advanced one we have is aragon at the moment and uh, it's still nowhere near ready um, there's also human services. I, like there's, there was a project here in Australia called Kenya. Uh, they ran an ICO a while ago and, and, and their platform hasn't even really launched yet. Um, and, you know, they're proposing to be a token for all sorts of different human services, more, kind of like an Airtasker um, okay, right. deal. You know, can you do this? Can you do that? But, uh, again, they've got their own token that people are going to have to jump on that isn't Bitcoin or Ethereum or cardano or eos and um i think in general we're seeing that trend die and mm -hmm, except mm -hmm. in some specific instances that whole trend of you come on our own platform you use our token blah 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 because you can see that with a whole bunch of the other icos you know there's a whole bunch of icos that promise that model uh haven't really had the user uptake and haven't even really delivered on a lot of what they were saying what are some of those so there's uh, District Zero X, yeah. which you remember uh, towards the beginning of our podcast, I raved about a lot because they promised a whole bunch of stuff. Um, Blockcat is another one. They haven't really 
done much more than what we interviewed them about about 20 episodes ago right. um and they were going to be like the smart contracts you know they're going to be like a pick and yeah, choose smart yeah, yeah. contract really cool thing uh filecoin is a massive one Whoa. they they raised like 250 million dollars in their ico um they've done nothing <laughs> that wow. they, they were promising this massive um ecosystem of blockchain based file storage you know people rent out your storage get paid for it and uh nothing's really happened with that they've got a cool new white paper um <laughs> And that's about it, you know. And like, and there's, and I'm just not convinced that there's even a market there for that kind of stuff, you know. Um, I mean, it, it sounds cool, but like you said, Panama is nice, but people have got to visit it. Um, <laughs> Status is another one. They raised a bunch of money. I don't. They, they were kind of like an encrypted messaging, oh, yeah. blockchain-based app kind of deal. They raised a bunch of money. Haven't heard much from them. Mobile Go is another one. I mean, at least they've kind of got a platform. Um, and some people apparently use their token, but nowhere near what they were they were promising. Um, and so Mobile Go was a, a mobile play kind of app. Okay. Um, Co-Found It is another one that was kind of promising the world. They were essentially promising to be kind of like a startup Kickstarter kind of platform where Ooh. for all the new ICOs and you were going to get use the Co-Found It token to get priority access and all kinds of different things. Um They've, you know, just haven't really had anywhere near the uptake where they were promising. Huh. Fland, um, lending on the blockchain hasn't really happened much. There were a bunch of healthcare ICOs as well. I don't know if you remember all them, but there was like a oh, yeah. whole slew of them, you know. We're going to be the digital data management platform for healthcare. That, I mean, I, I, I can't think of one healthcare system that's picked any of the blockchain stuff up. Um, especially not from these startups. Sounds like everyone seems to have bought, you know, that what, ultimate ICO package from Dan Dan the ICO <laughs> yeah. man. Just so, why haven't some of these succeeded? Yeah, so the technology's, I think, still developing, and yeah, I think, like I said, Ethereum, great tech demo, um, but probably a bit duct taped together in some ways. Yeah, yeah. But that's, I guess that's a trade off because it was so early and yeah. you had gas for, you know, have to pay for transactions and things like that. Yeah. I'd just love to see more people admitting it, but I think so many people kind of made a bunch of money when Ethereum yeah. went gangbusters and were involved in that early stage that they don't really want to let it go. Like mm. there's a, a lot of emotional attachment. It's the to sunk it. cost fallacy, I guess. Yeah. So like sunk cost bias, sorry. Yeah. Where you put so much into it. So it has to have some value, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. let's drop we will this make this work yeah. you know, no matter yeah. what like this is gonna work <laughs> yeah and then there have been regulatory woes I guess I mean the no, you've, anyone who's been seeing what's happened to a lot of these founders and ICOs and all that problems and then yeah just like you were saying with Powerledger as well like, yeah yeah I, I think a lot of people said oh it'd be great if we could solve this problem but that wasn't they were thinking in a vacuum you know they didn't ask the lawyers mm. hey can, can we what we're, what we're trying to do can we do it the vision wasn't really tied up with the rea- with practical reality. No, and, and the problem was you could you could spin up a, there at one stage you could spin up a website, cobble together a team, not spend a cent, get a couple of interviews on a couple of shill podcasts or video streams, and raise five million dollars. So you didn't need to do the due diligence beforehand. You didn't mm. need to have the business plan. You didn't need to, mm. you know, spend the money getting a, a letter of advice from a lawyer saying asking whether you could actually do it or not. Mm. You just did it, 
and um, and that's got some problems because you're taking people's money. Mm. So yeah, that's that's definitely what the reason why Summit hasn't succeeded. I I, I wonder too whether um whether a lot of these projects are just trying to solve a problem that just doesn't even exist. Yeah, fair enough. You know, like the healthcare stuff. I mean, that, there, there were some genuine problems that they were talking about, but is blockchain the right solution for that? There are a lot of people who just created a token that they didn't really need to use, you know, they didn't actually need to lock people onto their platforms, yep. which, you know, there was an exact, you know, some of the examples of those little marketplace websites or marketplace tokens that would just, it would only work on there, yep. which is like having a, which is like having a specific coin for going to, you know, what about a best buy coin? Yeah. It's not very useful. Outside. And you only really used it to get a, a, a discount on your credit card fee. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like yeah, that's kind of yeah, what it was. Yeah. Like it wasn't even really like a. Mm. It was like a. What's the benefit of this? Well, you get. It's a fifty percent discount on your fees if you hold this. If you pay yeah, the fees. Yeah, in this, you know? was, yeah, like, I forgot about those. Yeah, yeah. I, I just remember asking people, "Why do you need a token?" And they'd be <laughs> like, "Well, how can we ICO if we don't have a token?" It's like. That shouldn't be what you're asking. It should be, mm. does my platform need a token? Because the moment you spin up a token, you significantly decrease the amount of people that can use your platform natively. Hmm. They've got to change into that token before they can do it. You kind of gate everything off. Mm. Mm. Whereas if you just say, oh, we're going to use Bitcoin and we're going to use Ethereum and we're going to use EOS for our solution, then you just a layer two solution. Mm. And that's great. You just adapt. Um, <laughs> you're just a dab. We should make a song called that. <laughs> you're just a dab. I'm just a dab. <laughs> um, Some people were just trying to make a bit of money. I mean, you go to a lot of those meetups, it's like, oh, I'm running an ICO. Like, for what? Oh, this random thing and that. And it's like. Do you remember that meetup we went to? Yeah. Oh, it was like, it was right at the height. Like, it was, you know, what, like just October like, 2017 or something. Am I part of Scientology? Because <laughs> <laughs> the guy was like, it was a NEM meetup. Yeah. That's what I was in the, the recently bankrupt NEM. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was a NEM meetup and the guy was like, put your hand up if you're running going to run an ICO. And Dad said it was like 30% of the room. There's like 100 so people crazy. there. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. I see none of them now. And when you find I had more blockchain expertise than half of them, you're like, this is not good because I don't have any blockchain expertise. Ah. Yeah, and it's fu- it's funny because, yeah, you just don't see any of them around anymore. Mm. All those people just disappeared once the money went out of it, um, which I guess says something about what went on. Right. Uh, show didn't disappear. That's right. We were wrong we're on a lot of things, here. but we're still here. We weren't here for... Just the money. No, nope, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, send, send flowers. Um, um, yeah, I mean, in reality, I think a lot of people were just too early or too ambitious. Some of them were probably too eager. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, yeah, I think some people just plain didn't understand the technology. They heard all the talk. And they heard the decentralization and the tokenize everything and thought, oh, well, that makes sense in my industry. Um, and I think you saw it a lot with those ICOs. The founder would be like an entrepreneur who had come from selling cars or something, mm-hmm. who knows. And then I, I can imagine they got to the point where they actually had to employ a dev to do some of the stuff and the dev was like... Ugh. Why are you using a blockchain for this? Mm. I, I guess at the end of it, on that problem, um, 
when you're saying, yeah, people are too early, too ambitious, all this sort of stuff, or, or you know, didn't understand the tech or all that, a lot of this stuff does take time. I mean, I first heard about, for example, progressive web apps. Yep. So instead of an app that you install via the iTunes app store or the Google Play store or whatever your app store is, instead you have a web page and you can actually bookmark that, add it to your home screen and it caches that page onto your phone and it works just like an app and it natively really fast, a bunch of stuff in that. I heard about that three and a half, four years ago. Wow. Because um, when they like were first really starting to talk about it, yeah. and I looked at it, I was like, this is cool, this is really well, and all this stuff. And even even today, you know, not everyone's using it, but they are still just as great. I Like, I think they're even better in some ways. Things take time. Yeah. So, I mean, three, four years is... A lot of these blockchain things that are here now, like drag and drop contract builders. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a twinkle in someone's eye or, you know, an early release of something. Mm. But let's fast forward a few years. User experience on some of these things, the user experience looks great. I mean, I'm not a Bitcoin SV person, but if you've seen the hand cash app they have, you put in someone's handle, swipe something, bing, done. It's unreal. Really? Some of these things, and you're saying this is now. Yeah. Let's fast forward a few years. Great. Yeah. I think another problem of why some of these things haven't succeeded is because they've bloody put white papers on their website. <laughs> I don't want to, like, when I go and buy, I, I can't remember who said this, but it was like, when I got a credit card, you know, in 1985 or whoever the person yeah. wrote it, I didn't have to read a white paper. Yeah. I didn't have to be a technical genius. Yeah. I had to go to a shop and swipe it. Yeah. And it's like, I, that's what you want with a lot of these coins. I don't care how it works. Yeah. Frankly, if it's not, if you can't explain it in a simple slide or diagram, why would I read a white paper to understand how? It well, works? and from a risk perspective as well, it's actually worse putting it into a white paper because really? because for a lot of these projects now, people are going to be able to go back, they're going to be able to pull out oh. the white paper, and they're going to be able to point to it, and they're going to be able to say, "Well, right here in your white paper, you guarantee this." And I think that's the problem with a lot of the people that made the white papers. They were too clever for their own good, you know. Like they tried to make things sound really technical, really flashy. They tried to say, we're going to do all these different things. Um, and it's 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 the reason why you don't just get someone who's really eager about your project to do all your content and then you don't check it with anyone else, you know. Because if they had come to me, I would have said, are you sure that you want to put in your platform that by December 2017 – you're going to have version two up and running and it's going to do this, 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 and this, and this, and this. And you're going to be in this many stores and have this many users. Man, I'm so glad there's a lawyer co-hosting this podcast. I mean, there's like, <laughs> seriously, that's such a good point. Yeah. I mean, yeah, these are statements and claims and, bo- and yeah, it's the wild ambitions of a dreamer who just had Microsoft Word and couldn't be bothered to change the font. Yep. Yeah, and, and, and it's now there, you know, and, and, and yeah, you're exactly right. I think from, well, from a market, you're right from a marketing perspective, it's great, but also from a risk management perspective, risk management perspective it's great. Just have a video talking about what you want to do with the project, but then have a disclaimer at the end that says, this is just what we, this is what we kind of want to do. a company, I swear, <laughs> like an advertising company that's just on the right, like yeah. clearly on the right side of the law. Yeah. Yeah, sell payday loans or something. <laughs> I'm actually putting it. It's fun. I'm actually putting an article tomorrow on like um, six ways to risk-proof your business marketing. Sick. Yeah, which That's is cool. exactly that kind of stuff. Cool. Let it's me like, know. I'm, I'm just... probably breaching half of it. <laughs> I think you're pretty good. <laughs> that, that is not legal advice for any sort of claim as to the veracity of my statement. You're rubbing off, um, mate. Most importantly, though, 
Where do you see it opening up and applying in the future successfully? Yeah, so the the big thing I'm excited about, yeah, being a lawyer is <laughs> in that is, is legal relationships. Right. I think, and, and by that I mean relationships between two or more parties. So currently, the way that these things work. Everyone comes together and they say, this is what we want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to go into business with this person. We want to build this consortium. We want to have this agreement or these contractors or whatever. And the next step is let's write all that down. Let's get it in writing so we all know where we stand. And if anything goes wrong, we can go back to the document and say, this is what was agreed to. And that's the way things work currently now, which is okay. It works okay. The, the big problem with that at the moment is that – it's reactive. Mm-hmm. You roll this mm-hmm. stuff down. If someone breaches it, the the words on the paper don't jump out, yep. grab them by the hand and say, you can't do that and mm-hmm. stop them doing it. You know, it's only after everything's gone wrong that the other the person that's had the thing go wrong to them can point to the, the contract and say, hey, you, you did the wrong thing there. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have done that. And then they've got to spend a bunch of money going off to lawyers and potentially going to court and mm. things get really messy mm. and it's just not that fun. And a lot of the time it just revolves around money. It's all about money and not paying this or not paying that or or hiding this amount of money or whatever. With, us, with this blockchain and smart contract stuff, we can finally begin to create what I call active agreements. Mm. We can start saying, like that musician example I gave before, you know, we can start saying, well, these are the terms of our agreement and these terms are quite easy to code. Mm-hmm. And here's a point where we can essentially send money to a contract instead of sending money to an account and the contract can do the work for us. Or here's a point where we can tie the money up in a contract until a certain event happens. Mm -hmm. We can get that verified by a third party and then that money can be released. But yeah, like that's just, for me, that is, that is so exciting because up until this point, money and what I call business logic, which is essentially like programming, I guess you'd say, like programming which performs a certain function for you on your software, they've kind of been two separate things. You've had to either wait for someone to transfer money into an account or you've had to use a third-party service like PayPal uh, to shift money around and then you essentially trust PayPal that they're going to square it with the bank. Mm -hmm. We've never up until now had a digital currency which we can also program directly. Mm. So, and what I mean by that is you can't go to the bank and say, hey, can I start programming directly on your ledger? (laughs) (laughs) And can can everyone see that, you know, and can we execute programs on your ledger? Like they just don't have the technology for that and they wouldn't let you do it anyway. Um, On the Ethereum ledger or the EOS ledger or the Cardano ledger or whatever, you can build a program which has business logic written into it so if this condition is met do that if this condition is met do that uh if these three parties agree do this you can write that and then have it deal directly with money mm-hmm. which is it just it essentially makes programmable money which is so powerful um and so even things like trust i say all the time you know, take a trust uh, one of the biggest problems with the current trust is that you have a trustee and a trustee can do the wrong thing. And beneficiaries of that trust may not know whether that trustee is doing the wrong or right thing. And there's no real way for them to check. But it would make a lot more sense to build a trust that is run by a smart contract where all the money comes in and all the beneficiaries can see it. And they can also say, yep, okay, mm-hmm. I can see it going out to all of our different accounts mm-hmm. as well based mm-hmm. on the conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with consortium companies, same things with things like supply chains. 
wherever you can bring the transfer of money out into the open and wherever you can tie that in with the rules of the agreements between the parties, you create more efficient business and you also create an atmosphere of trust, which mm, we've never had mm, before. Mm. Um, so basically anywhere where there's multi-party relationships, I think blockchain has a huge potential. Mm. I'd love to see some APIs plugging into into those legal relationships and contracts, like you know, whether it's yep. zero, you know, for yes. if your cash flow b- drops below this every month and this business agreement changes or whatever it might be, yeah, things like that. I'd like to see what Alex Svetsky thinks. thinks of that because mm. he's building stuff that plugs into the finance systems and into stuff like that. Anyway, yeah, that's that. that. Next area that's really exciting to see happen in the future is gaming, um, mm. non fungible tokens and economies and you know, items in game and we're just going to see that keep going because, I mean, you've got virtual worlds that are out there. We've talked about them before, whether it was Decentraland, a virtual reality world you can go and explore. There's EOS world or some nonsense. There's Minecraft that's all out there. There's, yeah, all yeah. kinds of rare items and things like that. Engine has a bunch of those things where you can trade between games. So yeah. a, an item you get in one game, let's say the game flops, you can still sort of that asset that you had, you can sort of switch out for other stuff. And I guess that's one thing we didn't really talk about in the in the how are people using blockchain well thing either is that oh, it is yeah. being used really well in games. That's and, a great point. And Ethereum platforms are actually using it really well in games. Wow. Um, so Decentraland and Engine wow. are, are using it and it's actually kind of working. Wow. There's also Hash Rush, which we covered uh, a few episodes ago. And they're using Ethereum on their back end as well. But why are non-fungible tokens such a big deal? Because they're, it proves the rarity of an item in a game. Is mm. that what it is? Yeah. So yeah. You, you can have like an, an exclusive asset and that's actually tracked in yours. And, and the fact that you can trade it between people, that's been a big deal with like fraud, yep. with, um, which was so prevalent in, you know, for example, Steam and those related marketplaces where people sort of trade in game items but sometimes sort of lose out. But the big trade platforms for those virtual items have actually jumped into crypto for quite a while now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've, they've, they've seen a the, the, the very real benefit of having a, a ledger where things are set in stone mm. and are also liquid. They can be traded with each other and, and title can transfer from one person to another and it can be irrefutable and... You know, you can validate things. That's the beauty of something like a blockchain. Yeah. yeah. What's some other stuff that you see it applying to and a blockchain applying to in the future? Yeah, look, I think riffing off the gaming world and non-fungible tokens is that the same kind of principle can be applied to real-world assets. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, I think we'll probably start seeing people looking at fractionalizing real-world assets and and uh, tr- trying to make new ways to deal with title of property and mm-hmm. title of assets in the real world and and essentially saying well if we've got a system where we can something can have blockchain personality Mm -hmm. i guess you'd call it well maybe we can split that up and have shared ownership of something Mm -hmm. and have that ownership be very evident on on a blockchain and have that ownership be tradable Mm. fungible and i think you're going to start seeing that you'll probably start seeing people using it as an investment mechanism as well Mm -hmm. to say well we can all prove that we've invested money in this thing we can all take a certain percentage and if something begins generating revenue then that revenue can be paid out via a smart contract as well next one civic functions i mean there are some projects that are looking at this you know we've got 
um, Horizon State, is it? Mm, um, yeah. Like all these sort of people want to be able to trust the systems, whether they're you know voting for uh, for ideas or or um, yeah identity things like that. People want to be able to trust it, and an open trusted ledger is pretty great for those types of things. So there are a few projects that are working on it. It'd be really interesting to see that starting to get worked successfully, and then finding ways to make it better yeah i think yeah it's, it's always weird that having currencies built onto these things is just so odd i don't i don't get that part of it but yeah. i do love the idea of having yeah blockchain based governance yeah yeah i look i i think it's kind of weird when people go away from the public chains and try and build their own blockchain and and don't use it with the currency because, I mean, money changes hands all the time. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the thing that makes everything work in our society. It's like the grease between our, the gears of our society. So tying it into something that like Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever, which has a, a native unit of exchange that a lot of people can use, makes sense. Whereas pushing it off to its own little system away from everything else it just makes it harder. Mm, you know, it just makes mm. it harder for everyone to, to work in with. Mm. Yeah. And I think we might see a consolidation of projects in the long run coming back to the main chains or using side chains, mm. which is something that the newer blockchain platforms can do. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm interested to actually see with with things like fractionalizing real world assets and um, whether it's giving people a vote via the blockchain is how do you actually officially put something in real life into the into the blockchain to avoid corruption in that? So, mm. you know, not just being able to just issue people votes yeah. because then I could just take three and pretend to be a bunch of people. So having, whether it's notaries or whether it's some form of witnessing the, how that works. I think that's why everyone's really hoping for a really robust identity system. Right. Because you can tie yeah. so much of this to your identity. Like if you've got a trusted identity issuer, then all you've got to do is yeah. tie it to that. You, know, you say, okay, this account gets one vote and you build the smart contract that way and everyone can audit the contract and say, yes, every identity has one vote and away you go. You know, once that identity is voted, it's voted. It's tricky because you just think there is something like when it comes to identity fraudsters or... Yes. Or even, you know, intelligence services who actually generate fake identities and yeah. create all these passports and things like that. Yeah. I just wonder how I'd game that system. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's areas. And humans are always going to be the weakness in all this stuff, mm. you know, like that. And that's been one of the biggest criticisms. It's like everyone says that it's a trusted, trustless system, but you still have to trust the people entering the information mm. at the first place. Yeah. I can just see so much of this underlying our transactional system as a society too. I think Bitcoin or a derivative of Bitcoin makes the most sense for internet money. Mm. digital money yeah, because it's not controlled by anyone. It's a completely open system. It's a worldwide network. Um, it really is money for the commons. And I think it just makes so much sense. Uh, it, it is a better way of exchanging value. It's a better way of storing value. Um, and I think it's likely that we'll get a number of systems that build on it and touch the blockchain in one way or another. The biggest plus for blockchain, and I think what so many different why so many different industries will eventually touch it in one way or another is that it can be a very trusted central 
database, even though it's distributed, like it can be a, a central source of truth. Right. So yeah, many yeah, different yeah, things. Yeah. And if the money, if, if, if it is trusted enough to transact a lot of money on there, then if it has the power to do so, it can also be trusted as a ledger to transact a whole bunch of other stuff related to the money as well. Mm. And I think that's why so many people get excited about it and have gotten excited about the technology. Mm. But like we've said, we're just not there yet. And it, it's it's about not putting the cart before the horse. Like mm. We've got to focus on making it a great network to transact value first mm-hmm. and then everything, and we're already seeing this with some of the more advanced networks, everything will kind of come from that, mm-hmm. you know, in the same way that so much stuff t- plugs into our banks now. So, I mean, that's that's how I got into it is I saw how exciting it was that the value could transfer from you to me, no intermediaries, instantly, before yeah. my very eyes. Yeah. And I think that's what does sell it for a lot of paper. And I think, yeah, you're right, getting it right there yeah. and then getting it right elsewhere as well. I think then people will see, wow, it's just, and it will just work. Yeah. So it won't be a question of, oh, is this the future? It's like, this is the future. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a brilliant foundation. Like if you can solve money transfer and if you can decentralize money transfer and make it fair for everyone, then that is the perfect foundation through which to derive everything else from. doesn't mean everything has to be built on the blockchain, um, especially particularly the blockchain that becomes kind of the one for transacting money. Um, but it does mean that it is a great place to report back to or to have a certain amount of stuff on or... You know, yes, yeah, smart contracts are the perfect example where you, where your business logic involves money. It makes sense that you'd be building at least some of the business logic on chain uh, to manage the transfer of that money between parties. And I think so much else is going to spring from that once we get that part of things right. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty pumped. Pretty pumped. Pretty pumped. I think it's going to be a good year for blockchain technology. Yeah. And I think the more this stuff can kind of fade into the background a bit more Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and people just accept it as a layer underneath everything that works, people get comfortable using it to pay for things with, uh, the more successful things will be. I've just found just seeing uh, seeing the the list grow of all these... um uh, all these dApps and, and and various applications that look amazing, mm. um, whether it's you know, things that work on the mobile phones and all that, I'm just excited to watch it happen. Exciting to watch it? That, you know what I mean. I'm <laughs> bloody excited to see what happens. Where it goes. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Cut. Oh, no, we got a call coming in. I'll pick it up. Hello? Uh, hello, yes, yes, hello. Jordan, is that you? Not believe it. Uh, I am in Venezuela. You would not believe it. I'm back. It is me. I'm here. Okay, Jordan. This is the same Venezuela that locked you up and tried to kill you about a year ago. Look, that was about the petro cryptocurrency that um, I inspired. You know. Remind me what the petro was again, Jordan. Oh, and you know the project they stole off me. You know, um, they locked me up because uh, I inspired Maduro to save his country with this cryptocurrency, and then yep. Wait, Jordan, didn't you get locked up because you had Somali... Look, it's a different situation, water under the bridge, you know, and also there's a lot going on, you know, there's, um, uh, yeah, Maduro hasn't got the time to look after me, huh? Uh, look, weren't, weren't you afraid about going back after what happened last time? This is the perfect time to go in. You've seen the uprising, you've seen the chaos on the streets, huh? I've been recruited as a deep 
state operative you know my diplomatic immunity and status actually meant that i, I can travel anywhere i want on the planet huh? and do you know what that meant i got through via colombia via the border and i'm now in venezuela i'm here on a on a, on a bit of a hush hush mission huh? okay jordan so we will probably have to redact a whole bunch of this stuff but um when you say deep state, who is this deep state? Look, I'm working for some unnamed North American country. Firstly, I helped create this Petro project. So, you know, this is a national cryptocurrency. No one has the access to the private keys. There's no way we can beat this new leadership without access to the Petro. And without the person who made the Petro there, can, we can overthrow this government. We can overthrow this democratically elected government and bring in real leadership. A real change. So that is why I'm here. I'm with the people. I'm working for the people. And I am helping the new people's leader. Look, odd, odd bit, odd bit to go, huh? All right, Jordan, I'll, I'll let you go. Know someone who might enjoy this? Please feel free to share it with them. You can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump on our telegram at FOMO.show slash telegram. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. And you can follow us on YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at The FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show, please do feel free to subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. Hello, chick chick, yes, hello. You see, I speak English well. I learned it from a book. <laughs> I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a forecast. This is the forecastly nightly. And down to Joe with the weather. We're also going to cover a private privacy, privacy tool. Private privacy. <laughs> We're also. <laughs> Jeez, I'm mixed up tonight. <laughs> We're also going to cover a bro... <laughs> Probably cut that last bit out. That was a bit too cynical. Jeez, I'm cynical tonight. Mate, don't worry. We'll chop this sucker up. <laughs>